Episode 80 on the Nine Point Start With A Dream Podcast. Welcome to Nine Point Started With A Dream Podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Yo, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jacoby Gillum. This episode is just about grit, you know, and having that underdog mentality to say that it's not over. No matter what you're going through, the setbacks, the ups and downs, the disappointments, you know, it's about saying that I will bounce, like I will achieve my goal. And Megan Henry's story embodies all of that, you know, from the day that the high school, you're trying to get to college to, to going, you know, me becoming, becoming a skeleton athlete after not knowing what the sport really was to, to surviving the blood clot. There's so much more in her journey. And, and she just said, I'm going to keep bouncing back. I'm not finished. And and it's, it was inspiring for me just to hear her story and Hannah hear how she's still aiming to achieve more. And I think that's what we all want to do in life, you know, no matter sports and life, we all want to achieve our version of greatness. So hope you enjoyed this episode and get a lot of value from it. And let's get to it. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> so where are you at right now? I'm in Connecticut. So I'm home for Christmas, which is nice. Awesome. So Megan, the question that everyone that comes on is when you're younger as an athlete, what was one of your biggest goals you wanted to achieve? I think the same as you. Like I really wanted to be a division one field hockey player. And I didn't start playing field hockey until I was in middle school. And I just kind of went to like a camp on a whim. My mom signed me up for this camp and I was okay at it. I was pretty shy actually when I was younger. So I didn't necessarily want to do things that I wasn't good at but I came to really like field hockey and played it. I made varsity as a sophomore in high school which like not a lot of people did at the time and I scored the game winning goal in a double overtime to send us to states and that was like a really big thing and I started kind of looking at schools early on when I was playing um at varsity. I knew that I wanted to play division 1 and I am from Connecticut, so I wanted to go to UConn, and that didn't pan out. It just kind of was miscommunication with the coaches, and you know, I went to like all of these showcases, all these tournaments and stuff where there's college coaches there, and I applied to UConn. I applied to Indiana University, which is another big field hockey school, and I went to this tournament, and they had a college night. So if you were like an up-and-coming senior you were pretty much should have been like committed by that point. Mm -hmm. Like you, like if you were, I was either a junior or a senior. And so most people kind of knew or had an idea, but they had senior night actually is what it was called. And so there were a bunch of college coaches there. They had tables set up, but if you were already pretty much headed towards a school or committed, like UConn took all of their up and coming seniors out. They took them out to dinner and they didn't tell me. So I was really upset about it. That was like, oh my God, what is happening? So I walked up to the table. I knew American University, which is where I went to college, was at this senior night. And I hadn't really like done a whole lot with them. I kind of like communicated. I really liked Washington, DC. And so I went up to him and I was like, I'm playing in these games tomorrow. And I just, you know, and he had seen me. So like, I pretty much at least contacted coaches that to tell him what I was doing, who I was planning for, where I was playing. And he had seen me. And so he was already interested. So that was like really helpful. <laughs> but I ended up being someone who had a really late college visit. 
And I committed very late because my, you know, dream school of playing for UConn, that didn't pan out. So I was like, you know, in a complete panic that I hadn't committed anywhere until really late, like in my senior year. But I went to American University. It was amazing. I was really, really happy there. But as a freshman, I came from being like the star player, you know, and I live in the middle of nowhere in Connecticut. So like, I don't know, there's not that many people. And I was not a starter my freshman year. I was not a starter my sophomore year. And I kind of got mixed in. To me, that was really hard to deal with. I was not used to being like, not this key player, you know? Yeah. And so I know that kind of sounds like a little spoiled, I guess, but I wasn't used to it. And because it took me a lot of time and energy to like be a really key player in high school, I was expecting like the work was already done, you know, (laughs) and it wasn't. (laughs) I had a mentor that told me like back in the day that head coach told him in football that look to your left, look to your right. Everyone in this room would want an all-star on their team as well. Exactly. And that is exactly how it was. I, I remember talking with other people. My roommate at the time was playing and two of my other close friends on the team, we were we were on the bench and I was like, what is going on? And they're like, I don't know. I was the same way. I was the number one player, you know? And so it's pretty wild. Like as you keep leveling up, like everybody was the best at one point, <laughs> but it forced me to be more of like a utility player. So I had to in high school, I was a forward, I was a right wing, and I was actually recruited as a midfielder, something I never did. I ended up ultimately playing mostly right wing again in college, but I was moved all around the front line as a forward. I was, I subbed in as a midfielder. My, I had to you know, become better at my defensive skills. So it ended up being good for me just to become a better overall player. So this journey for you started with almost kind of you shooting your shot with that coach. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're like saying, hey, I'm playing. You want me? Come watch me play. Yeah. And I mean, it was definitely, it was, it was kind of like, this is a panic. Like (laughs) I have nowhere to go now because I put all my eggs in one basket, but I mean, it it worked out really well. (laughs) I think a lot of people can can learn from that too. Cause I know I was that way when I was looking for schools. I applied to two schools, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And they would like the last resort, no offense, Oklahoma State people out there. But, you know, it was like, I don't want to have to go there. So for you, if that didn't happen, did you have another plan or what it was going to do? I had applied to uh, UConn, Indiana, and like UVM was like my last choice, like did not want to go there. (laughs) And I had done an official visit there and... It would have been okay. I would never have become the player that I did. And, you know, it just, it all works out serendipitously. You think it's bad, but it was the, I absolutely loved my college athletic experience. My college coach was phenomenal. He's one of the best in the country. I would put money on it. He's coached the women's national team at the Olympics. He's an Olympian in field hockey and the coaching skills that he has and how he treated us set me up for success down the road. Like you just, I think that I would have never found that anywhere else, just how incredible he was as a person. So I'm really grateful for it because it did work out better for me. Everything works how one is supposed to. Yes. (laughs) So you were saying, you know, that first year you were kind of in this 
against limbo trying to figure, okay, what's my role? How do I get to where I was in high school, you know, the sense of, you know, the level of playing time. So how did you approach that as your athlete mindset? Well, at first I was like, I don't know if I belong here. Maybe, I, maybe I'm kidding myself that I was good enough to be here. So I like sat down with my coach. I was like, I don't know if I should do this anymore. And he was like, no, no, no. <laughs> so I guess it was helpful to kind of get reassurance because there were a lot of, I think what kind of sparked that is a lot of other people started walking away. And I think some of them were like, I don't want to go to the school anymore. I'm going to transfer or whatever it may be. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'd, oh, and two of my close friends on the team left. And so I kind of felt like, yeah, now I have nobody really there. Like my two closest friends are gone. They're leaving. And I ended up staying and I don't know, I guess it was just that the reassurance really did help me change my mind. (laughs) And I mean, I trained really hard in the gym and I think there's a lot more that I could have done actually, like looking back on it. I think he always offered like individual sessions outside of, of practice. So if you wanted to like get better at a skill, you could sign up for an individual is what it was called. And I could have definitely done more stuff like that or signed up for like small group sessions outside of practice. And I definitely, there's more that I could have done, but I trained really hard in the off season. I moved to Washington, DC. My last year, I stayed there in the summertime and I trained with the strength coach in the off season because I wanted to make my senior year really, really good. And yeah. And then actually after my senior season was done, I walked on to the track team at American University because I just, I wasn't ready to be done being an athlete. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> we hang, hang on to it for sure. Yeah. So you track, track and field. So what so what'd you do? Uh, I was a sprinter. So like indoor, I guess, is it 55? I don't even know. 55 indoor, 100, 200, four by one. Okay. So, yeah, and so you're quick. I like to think so. I'm all right. Like, <laughs> right. I, I'm not like national level, but I'm good. <laughs> So I think it's kind of cool, like kind of how your story is playing out so far, because, you know, the field hockey thing with the coordination, with the, you know, running with the, you know, the stick, and like that ball, you know, like that. Then you go to track and field where you worked on your sprinting, your mechanics, and now you're in this skeleton. <laughs> yeah. So after I graduated college, I enlisted in the army. I guess because, well, I was trying to get a a job and a lot of places were like, you need three to five years work experience. You need a master's degree. And I was like, good. All right. I had an interest in joining the military actually when I was very young and I thought it was an honorable thing to do. So like within a month of graduating, I had joined the army and I shipped off to basic training and I joined because it continues. Like you need to have the physical side, the mental side, there's a team environment. So like all of that stuff is really attractive to me, obviously. It's something that I know very well and it allowed me to continue that. And then after I was finished with all of my like basic training, my advanced job training, I was recruited to do bobsled. My strength coach from college was actually contacted by Alana Myers-Taylor. She is a multi-time medalist for the United States in bobsled now. And at the time, she was a like up-and-coming driver for bobsled. So she was looking for people. She went to George Mason, which is also in the area. So she was contacting like colleges in that area looking for people. 
and myself and my other teammate, Savannah Grable, and actually another teammate, Katie Turner. We all went up to try bobsled, try our hand at bobsled. And it was a good time, but for me, it was just too small for it. They were like, you're five foot two. The rest of us are like five, eight. You need to put on 30 to 50 pounds. I was like, okay, that's not happening. <laughs> so they said, you know, you should switch over to skeleton because I, I had, you know, the explosiveness, you're fast. And that's kind of like what they're looking for. Are you strong and you fast? Can you push a sled? Can you run bent over? <laughs> so I switched over to skeleton and we kind of started out with like a rookie push camp. And they have a push track, which just simulates the running start. So for people who don't know what skeleton is, it's on the same track as bobsled. It's kind of like luge, but it's head first. There's a running start similar to bobsled and you load onto your sled and then you lay on a sled head first and you're steering with just a little bit of input from your shoulders and your knees. And you go onto a track that's like a mile long. <laughs> moving. You're going fast. Yep. Yeah, up to 80 miles an hour is like what we usually say. It varies from track to track, but it does. It requires that fast explosiveness. And my first push championships, I won the rookie division. And I later won again. And I didn't actually end up competing in all of them, or sometimes we didn't have a push championships because it's not entirely necessary. But but we had a combine every year too. And so I had like one of the highest combine scores, you know, I was always trying to show up as like, I'm going to be, I'm, gonna, I'm making a statement at these combine tests because I want people to know, like, <laughs> here, here I am. When it comes to that mindset, they kind of go back to high school and not, you know, having mm. that like dream school want you or just, they're just. <laughs> I, well, like Tom Brady and me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, I've never really thought of that, but it's an interesting point. I think, yeah, I I always kind of have had like the underdog mentality. And I think it has served me well for the most part because I like, I don't like showing up to things unprepared. Like I'm a sprinter. I don't enjoy long distance running, but when I signed up to go to the army, I had one month to prepare for basic training, I was like, you better believe that I am not showing up here to look like a fool. And I ended up having, I had the highest PT score in my battalion, which is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And I was given an award for having the highest PT score. I mean, my two mile time wasn't insane, but I mean, it's still around like six minutes. And then I did 119 pushups in two minutes. I mean, it was like, I can't do that now. I like, I know I can't do that now. And I definitely can't do a six minute, two mile right now, but I trained for it because I was just like, I am going to show up and I know the physical stuff is going to be really difficult there. But if I can at least show up in shape, then I can deal with the mental side of it. So and I guess same thing for, for skeleton. Uh, if you're at least, you know, you can prepare for what you can prepare for. You should do it <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so for me, that I watched skeleton races and like interview, and I was like, so you got to be kind of fearless to go head first, you know, and you're just going for it. So how did you do, get, or was your first race like, you know, like terrifying, just knowing <laughs> unknown in a sense, or how was that? So in skeleton, when you first start, they start you lower on the track and then you like gradually move up the track. So you're not just like bombing off the top okay. right away, <laughs> which is good. You kind of get like a feel for it. But because I was a fast pusher, 
I have like a few weeks of training and then they sent me to a race in Canada because I didn't have enough people at the time to fill this race. It was a North America's Cup race in Calgary. And I had no clue what I was doing, like none. But they're like, you're a fast pusher. We're going to send you to this race. And I was like, oh my God. So I show up there and I was like, well, I'll just do what I know that I can. I'm just going to push fast because like, I don't know what else to do. I didn't do amazing because I really didn't have like the concept, the skills, the driving skills down yet. But it was very exciting. You know, it was exciting to be able to represent the U.S. It was an international race. It was a low-level race, but it was still really exciting for me. And I mean, I struggled though because it was it was similar in that they sent me to this race. They thought I was just going to like, she's going to do amazing just because she pushes fast. And myself and another girl, they did that too. And we came back and we just did, we did all right. Like, I don't know, we might've gotten like 10th in this race. And um, they kind of were like, they were pretty disappointed, I guess. They thought we were going to just go, show up and like win. And I was like, I've, you know, I've been sliding for like, can you imagine doing a sport for three to four weeks and then like going to compete in that thing? Like, it's just mind boggling that that was even, that even happened, but it was good. You know, yeah. it gave me experience and maybe it gave me a, a false sense of like accomplishment. Cause then I came back for national championships and I might've came in last at national championships and I was like, well, this isn't good, you know? <laughs> um, I must not be good at this either. <laughs> but it forced me to, like, I just have always been the person that's like trying to seek out, how can I be better? How can I get an edge or work around this? I'm going to invest in better equipment. I'm going to, you know, like, it's forced me to always like adapt and overcome in a way. It's so cool to, to, to hear your mentality. You know, and I think that like the great athletes all have it, you know, the Kobe Bryant, the Tom Brady, they have that mentality of just like, how can I get better at this? You know, like I'm not going to quit. So, so when did it all click for you? So let's see, in 2012, I was actually, I was the national champion. A couple of the higher level, like Olympian girls were not there. I would say like the top two women weren't there. So I saw this as a complete opportunity to win and have this title and everybody saw that everybody was like this is an opening for somebody to claim this title and I slid very well at the time and that was one of those true I am in the zone moments and you know every athlete has one and you're like everybody's trying to recreate that moment they want to you know recreate that that feeling that that euphoric feeling that comes with being in the zone. And I would say that is one very vivid time where I felt that way. And, you know, you're always trying, <laughs> trying to recreate that. So I won national championships in 2012 and uh, it was awesome. And that for me was like, okay, this like confirmed that I at least know what I'm doing <laughs> to some extent. So I moved out to Utah for the summer to train. And they have a push track there. And I just set up like who I was going to be training with. I trained five to six days a week, sometimes twice a day. And in August of 2012, I started to have, I actually started a birth control and I started to have difficulty breathing. 
within 10 days of taking it, it was just having like shortness of breath. And I mean, at that time I was like, I was eating the same. I was super like dedicated. My diet was crazy. Like, you know, everything was really, really, yeah, super lined up. And I had to take a combine test. So I was prepping for the combine and I went to this combine test and I was like warming up. I was just jogging around the track. I couldn't even make a lap around the track. And I was like, I don't know how, cause I was having such a hard time breathing. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to finish this thing. And we only sprint 45 meters. So I did, you can take three attempts for everything. I took one attempt for things because I was like, I can't do more than one attempt. I did the 45 meter sprint and I like fell over at the end, just trying to like catch my breath. And I'm like, I have no clue what's going on. And you know, people are looking at me like I have five heads because they're like, this girl said she's like already done skeleton because there were new people there. So I'm a veteran athlete and they're like, this girl is like, what is wrong with her? You know, it was, it was really embarrassing. But at the same time, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. And I ended up somehow making it through the entire combine. And I had, I set personal records in my sprints. I had like tied my best, but I set personal bests in we do a forward shot toss. We do a standing broad jump. We do a max power clean and a three rep max back squat. At the time, I set a personal best in my clean, which I have not rematched. And then my back squat, I have never done that again since then. <laughs> I've never matched that in a combine, which is crazy. And then I like... I basically, I went to the doctor, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. But the whole time, like the, my mindset, I think is what got me through that was just because I was like, I just have to do one more of these things. You know, I have to do one sprint. I got to warm up and do one of these cleats. Like it was just keeping my eye on, I'm just making it through this event. And if, if you told me that I had to go and repeat that combine under the same conditions, there's no way I, I could do it. I just, I don't know. I don't know how I was able to complete that, but I did. (laughs) And uh, I did. I had the highest combine score and I came home. I saw a number of doctors, couldn't figure out what was wrong. Despite me saying, you know, I haven't changed anything about my life. My life is extremely regimented. The only thing that I've changed is I started taking this birth control. And finally, you know, I saw a pulmonologist and they were like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that based on your story, that you have um, blood clots in your lungs and I need to send you right away to the emergency room. And so I ended up going to like an offsite imaging center. So it was a, for a CAT scan and they did a CAT scan of my lungs and they did like ultrasound of your legs because sometimes blood clots, they call it deep vein thrombosis. They can start in your legs and then they break off and travel to your lungs and you can like yeah, potentially die. So he's like, this is like really, really bad because I couldn't, it started to get progressively worse. You know, I couldn't have a conversation. I would have been like completely out of breath, like really labored breathing, couldn't walk up the stairs. It was like really strange, you know, for someone who trained five, six days a week, you know, it's just, it was very unusual. (laughs) So they send me right away to this, this imaging place. I get the CAT scan. I'm sitting in this room. For some reason, it's really dark in there doing the ultrasound. And they hand me the telephone. And they're like, this is Dr. Wasser. He's on the phone for you. And I hold the phone up and I'm like, hello, like expecting like good news. I don't know why I was expecting good news. But he's like, Megan, you have uh, multiple pulmonary embolisms in both lungs. 
and a blood clot off of the main pulmonary artery. I'm sending an ambulance to come get you and you're going to be in the hospital. And I was like, what? And my stomach just like sank and I just started like bawling, like just, I don't know. It was like the depths of my soul bawling. And (laughs) so I go to the hospital, I'm bedridden for a week. They're giving me blood thinners. I had to do these like injections in my stomach. It was horrible, horrible experience. And when I got out of the hospital, they were like, well, you can start walking for 10 minutes a day. And that was very hard. And I was like constantly, so when you're on blood thinners, you have to check your blood to make sure that it's within a certain range because it can't be too thin and it can't be too thick. And so I had to constantly be going into in and out of doctor's offices like four times a week because in the beginning, they're trying to figure out what dose works best for you. And I just was like, I can't believe this. This is my life. You know, like I did never, I never saw this coming. (laughs) You went from like, no, all this achievement to the accomplishment to being the, you know, Megan, just the one. And now you're like, I can't even walk. Yes. And, you know, I mean, you talk about like, who am I? Because I, my identity for most of my life was that I am an athlete. That is my I am statement that is very Mm -hmm. real to me. And so when it was taken away from me, I had a very hard time with that. I had an extremely difficult time. I was very depressed because it was months of that. It was months of being alone. I had, I saw that my teammates were competing. I actually went and watched team trials and it was very difficult. It was really, really hard. Yeah, it really did hurt. And then I moved out. So I'm in the army and I was an athlete for the army at the time as a world-class athlete program athlete. So I went out to Colorado, which is where uh, WCAP, the world-class athlete program is headquarters. So they were kind of like overseeing my care. I ended up like working in the office. I was working helping as uh, what they call it, the training NCO, training non-commissioned officer. And it was very hard because I was working as like an administrative person while I'm recovering. I'm not training, but I'm helping all of these other athletes. And I'm sitting in on like these staff meetings. You know, I was just like, I am on the other side of what's supposed to be, you know, me. Mm -hmm. And it was really, it was very rough. It was so rough, but I just kept kind of being like, I actually went, so that happened to me in September. September 11th is when I went to the hospital. I remember that distinctly. (laughs) And then I was like, I'm going to ask if I can get a CAT scan in December and see if I'm cleared. And I wasn't, but I was like, I'm going to be clear. I'm going to be clear. I'm going to be clear. And I'm like, well, I'm going to get another CAT scan in March and I'm going to get like, if I'm clear, because they told me, you know, you may never be an athlete ever again this may take a year or two years for you to be on blood thinners. And I'm like, oh my God. So I was just like, I know that this happened because of this birth control that I started taking. I prayed that I didn't have a blood clotting disorder because that sometimes happens. People have a blood clotting disorder they don't know about. And then something like that happens Mm -hmm. and brings it on. And I just set my sight on, I'm going to be cleared by March. I'm going to go and just slide just to train by myself to get the feeling back. Even I think I went for like a week. I didn't even go that long. You know, it was just, just because March is the end of the season. So I was like, well, I'm going to go and I'm just going to slide and just, you know, know that this is still something that can happen for me and 
just really plan for the next year. But I was out all of 2012 to 2013. And the Olympic season for us actually starts So it's 2013, and then the Olympics are in February of 2014. So that was the entire year prior to the Olympic season that I was out. And I ended up going to the Olympic trials, and all of these people who I was ahead of, because I was still pretty early on in my like development in the sport, you know, people like leapfrogged me. They were ahead of me. So I left. I was the national champion, but in terms of world ranking, I was fifth for the U.S., And then when I came back, I was like 10th in national team trials Olympic year. And I was just like, God, this is not, (laughs) this is not what I wanted, (laughs) you know? And it was, I do think everything happens for a reason. You know, I made a point to share my story to try and like help other people. I went to Washington, D.C. and I spoke in front of Senate staffers I linked up with actually a girl from American University had passed away and I linked up with her family and other people to try and like kind of spread this word. So I was like trying to turn my tragedy into something that helped other people and give them some kind of a warning and something they could look out for. And also for athletes to know that we're not as immune as we like to think we are. (laughs) We're not invincible. Yeah, (laughs) because that was a crazier thing. But I do think actually that if I hadn't been an athlete and I hadn't been in as good shape as I was in, that there's no way that I would be having this conversation with you. I do think that being an athlete saved my life. So I encourage other people, if you don't work out, then you need to. (laughs) Because it it definitely helped me. And you're to remind me of a story I interviewed. Her name is Jennifer Kagey. Uh, I think I said her last name right. She played volleyball overseas, and she found out, found out she had um, ovarian cancer. And she had she found out overseas, and she had to fly back home and get surgery. And she was saying the same thing that you said, you know, about how being an athlete kind of gave her that mentality just to, like, know that I'm going to get through this. You mm-hmm. know, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep fighting, and I can't give up. So I think it's awesome that you're saying that. Cause hopefully anyone can get that same you know, validation that, hey, she's got to keep fighting. One more rep. I mean, in the moment, I mean, there were some very dark mm-hmm. times, very dark times mentally for me. And it was hard to kind of look at the light at the end of the tunnel. And I just had to, like, I had to just talk to myself in a way and tell myself that this is not permanent and this is what's going to happen for me. Kind of like affirmations in a way. I was like, I'm going to come back in March. I'm going to slide in March and I'm going to compete Pete and team trials. And this is going to work out for me because I believed that I believed deep down that I was not going to have a blood clotting disorder and I didn't. So for me, it was very hard to hear like a doctor who's like an authority figure say like, you may never be an athlete again. And so in a way I was like, nah, you're wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. This is not my reality. So I guess that helped me (laughs) in a weird way. It, it worked out though, right? You know, like you're here. So how is it going for you now? You know, after your you know, year that's passed, you're, you get your back in training, you're back in the zone. So what's it like now getting ready for seasons and everything else coming? I mean, coming back, I mean, it was a long road because I had a lot of really, really ups and downs. But I like I ended up racing off for the 2015 World Championship team, which was sweet because that was the season, you know, after the Olympic year. And for us, world championships are, 
the Olympics of the non-Olympic year. And so for me to make that, that was super awesome. But then I kind of was like up and down and up and down, but I had made the national team pretty much ever since. And we have two levels of the national team. So there's World Cup and then there's Intercontinental Cup. And the Olympic team is chosen from the World Cup team. Usually there's like really rare instances where someone will make it from ICC or Intercontinental Cup. So for me, like I've always been like, okay, I need to make the World Cup team, need to make the World Cup team. And it's just been like slowly progressing towards that. And every year I learn something new or you know, I keep developing. You're never, you're never at your potential or your peak. There's always stuff to learn, especially in skeleton. Skeleton's a weird sport. It's very, very technical. And it does take a lot of experience to become really good and, and good coaching, you know, good coaching, a good mentality. Skeleton, there's always ups and downs in skeleton. And so I like last year, Actually, the year of the 2018 Olympic trials, I was in fourth and we only were going to take two, but we ultimately actually only qualified two. And then last season, I missed making, we had two spots for the World Cup team. I missed making it because I made third at team trials. (laughs) And I was like, I was like hundreds or tenths away from making the World Cup team. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. But the thing is, is that when stuff like that happens, you just have to like reorient your path and reorient your goals. So I was basically like, okay, I didn't make the World Cup team. I am going to be top three overall on my circuit on ICC, which I was. I wanted to like have really consistent start times. I broke the American start record last year, which was awesome. It was my record and I broke it substantially by a huge amount. And then I... I wanted to qualify for world championships. So we qualified a third spot. So I went to world championships, which was awesome. And so that gave us actually three spots on world cup. So it's all like based on quota spots. And so only a certain number of of countries can have three spots. So we currently have three. So that was important for me to qualify that spot. And then this year uh, we had team trials and I actually won team trials overall. Yeah, it was really wild. The number USA won, she already qualified. She had a bye because she won national championships in March. And then we had two weekends of racing and I came in third, the first two races in Lake Placid. And we were supposed to race in both Lake Placid and Park City. And Park City is my like better of the two tracks. And Park City ended up being canceled because they couldn't keep the track refrigerated. So I'm like, and they told us this like the day before one of our races. And I'm like, well, you know, it is what it is. So I just got to keep focused on what I have to do right now. And so we have two heat races and I was like first for one heat. And then I dropped to third or like, I was just back and forth and I'm like, oh my God, I'm sitting in third. And because that girl already has a qualified spot because she has a bye. There's only two open spots, so I cannot be sitting in third. So then the next weekend, we only had one day of practice because so usually there's three days of training before a race. We had one and the other two got canceled because of weather. So I was like, well, <laughs> like I'm just going to try and have fun. So sorry, the, the ICC team was supposed to have their visas to go to Russia because they were racing in Russia. And because I was sitting in that third spot, my coaches were like, maybe you should get this visa. Because I said 
they started doing that process in the summertime. And I was like, I'm not getting this visa because I'm not going to be on ICC. Like that's, that's kind of what I was like. I'm like, I'm not doing this because I don't want it. I'm not thinking about that. That's not an option for me. So then I'm sitting in this third spot going into the second weekend of racing. And they're like, you should potentially get this visa. So the day before the race, I'm like frantically doing this paperwork and all this stuff. And like, because I'm in the army, you need to make requests to travel and especially to Russia, that's like a huge deal, right? Like oh, they're like, yeah. why do you need to go to Russia? <laughs> so that's kind of what was happening the day until the night before that race. And I was like, I, I sat down the night before and I was like, I do not want to go to Russia. But if I do, I've made a lot of improvements in team trials so far. And I know that this is going to be a really good learning year for me no matter what happens. And so I kind of like surrendered at that time. And I was like, you know what, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. If I don't make World Cup, it's, it's okay. And I think that's what helped me have like a really clear mind going into the last two races. And I won both of the last two races, which ultimately put me in first overall, which is insane. Like when I think about it, I'm like, that wasn't real. Yeah. So it's kind of been surreal to go from being like underdog, 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 just missing it, just missing it. And then I was like still in the position to be like, oh my God, I'm going to miss this again. And then I won. So it's just that like persistency ultimately pays off. And I mean, it's always learning. I feel like it's always up and down, up and down because I'm on the World Cup team and we actually opened our first two races were in Lake Placid on the World Cup circuit. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to medal here. This is great. And, you know, I was training in like the top three to six for the most part. And when I raced, I came in 12th and 13th. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, okay. And I think for me, it was because I was so focused on... I mean, I wanted to slide well, but I think when you, even if it's subtle, the subtle shift to focusing on the outcome and like wanting something or like trying hard to get Mm -hmm. it, that's when it becomes elusive. So for me, I think that is why I performed the way that I did. I think I was thinking a lot. You're thinking a lot rather than letting your body do what it already does. That naturally does. I can relate to that. When I ran track. I have this thing like at practice where I'll just be so loose and like, I'll just run like sprint, you know, I'll just be jaw flapping, you know, arm just mm-hmm. going. But I got to a meet when the gun fired, I would tense up and I would, and I'll get like, last, like, like a cop. Like I did last cause I was just like so tense, like a mm-hmm. robot. So I get it when you're just loose. It just, nasty. yeah, it's the same thing in skeleton. You have to be relaxed, any sort of tension or like forcing it just doesn't work out. I mean, it's like the same thing. If you think about like, if you're with a dance partner and you're dancing with somebody and they're like stiff, like a board, you're like, this is not, this is not fluid. This is not flowing. You know, it's yeah. just not, um, like help me help you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you can't be like rigid and it's so subtle too. And it just all starts in the mind. It just, whatever it is that you're thinking about, even like subconsciously. And it's not like, like I said, that wasn't my whole focus. Right. I was like, I think for me, I was trying to recreate what happened during team trials. I was like, okay, I'm going to like have fun and this is going to be like this and I'm going to medal and da, da, da. And rather than let it happen naturally. The thing that I love about sports and competing and being an athlete is that there's so much that you learn as a person about yourself in terms of like growing and 
reaching your potential and personal development, it is never over. It's never over. And <laughs> I think that is, it's cool, but it, it can be really frustrating because <laughs> you're like, I made it. Okay. No, I didn't. Like, <laughs> that was another level. Yeah. So a few more questions for you. So skeleton is one of those sports that isn't talked about a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So how or where is skeleton like community at? Like where are you guys hanging out? Like where are the conversations being had about skeleton? So we can uh, share more. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, so like USA Bobsled and Skeleton has Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then the IBSF, which is International Bobsled Skeleton Federation is also that's who streams are like our races. So our, our races are also on like, I think it's NBC, the Olympic channel, which is pretty cool because mm-hmm. otherwise our families wouldn't be able to see us race. <laughs> but I don't know. It is. It's interesting because like bobsled and skeleton are such a niche sport in the United States. It's much bigger in Europe. Like it's a way bigger deal over there. But for us, our team is not entirely funded. So for most of us, for our like, eight years or whatever, you're fundraising for yourself or you're paying for stuff out of pocket. And it, and that's for a lot of Olympic hopeful athletes. They're in these niche sports that people think it's great. You know, the, I think the general population is like, they're you're under the impression the Olympics is once every four years, but like I've been doing skeleton for eight plus years now at this point. And there's, I would say hundreds of thousands of dollars have gone into me getting to this point and there will probably be lots more <laughs> money going that way because you're paying for travel recovery yeah the all, the, equipment. all the things it's a huge expense and a huge dedication i would have never been able to do this if i was not in the military just from a financial aspect it is it takes a lot and some people like go into debt or they are you know, working remote jobs while they're in season. And it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy what people are capable of doing. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily know that, especially about the smaller sports. Like, you know, we're not a Lindsey Vaughn or like a Sean White or Michael Phelps. Like you said, like the whole point of this podcast is kind of share those stories because you have people that are waiting tables during the day and they train at night and it's driving Uber, you know, and just yeah. doing all these different things. Yeah. And I think it's cool too that you're saying that because it just shows that it's more to the journey than just showing up to the, the event. Yeah. It's hard to have like a career. So I'm a, usually I'm a reservist. So I go one, one weekend a month because I wouldn't be able to do skeleton otherwise outside of the world-class athlete program. And like you said, I actually delivered food with DoorDash. I have mystery shots. I worked as a secretary, like random things that in the long run are not something that like, I'm not going to do that for the rest of my mm-hmm. life, you know, but it's just to kind of like make ends meet. I'm 32 years old and I've spent a lot of summers like living with my parents or I don't have a home for myself other than Lake Placid. Like I'm lucky that I can stay and live and eat and train at the Olympic training center in Lake Placid, but outside of that, I don't have a place that's mine. <laughs> and uh, it's weird because, you know, all of my friends and stuff, they're married and they have kids now and they have a house, they have a job. And so it, it's weird to be on the other side of that because a lot of people don't necessarily understand. I think they can empathize when you tell them about it. They're like, oh, that's pretty cool. But a there's difference. a lot. Yeah, it's a totally different life. And you have to want to do it because a lot of people couldn't do it. Like, you know, the day after Christmas, I'm flying to Germany and I'm going to be gone until March. And so it's like, 
it's hard, you know, just to maintain relationships with family and friends, let alone like a significant other, we're pretty much gone six months out of the year. So it's like dating somebody in the military who's deploying like all the time. That's kind of what it's like. So it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of dedication. And I know the feeling like I never achieved that, like elite status of an athlete, but I know like from in college, I would like drive Uber, you know, or I would like get plasma so I can like, you know, be a walker. Oh my God. And, and, and I can like, I, like, like even at nine point, I remember I was doing freelance work for jobs. I, I did so many like random things. I'm still doing random things now. Cause I realized, you know, like when you have the dream and you have the heart for you, like, all right, what do you do now to get to me for the future? Yeah. And I think there's some people who do recognize that because that's why people, you know, down the road will hire athletes. Like Mm -hmm. companies are looking to hire an athlete because they know that when it comes down to it, like you can get stuff done (laughs) on with a shoestring and a paperclip, like you're going to figure it out. And it's because we've done stuff like that. And I think the general public may not know it, but there's people who know. And a lot of them were probably athletes themselves, to be honest with you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So one more question for you, if I let you go, enjoy the coldness of Connecticut. Yeah. I'm in Phoenix right now, it's like 65 all week, so I can't complain. So that's cold for you, right? <laughs> Freezing. <laughs> I'm wearing a peacoat. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for you? You know, like you've had this story, you have a journey of just, like you said, grit, you know, just, overcoming objections, obstacles, and, you know, and just saying, I'm not finished yet. So what's next for you? Do you mean like this year or in general? <laughs> like Whatever you want to be, whatever next means to you. So my goal for this year is I would like to stay in, right now I'm currently 11th in the world. I'd like to stay in the top 10 in the world for the rest of the season, which will be difficult. I'm going to tracks I've never competed at before. I've never been to. So that makes it a little more challenging. And after that, I would like to win national championships. That's my goal for this year. And then obviously my goal is to continue to make the World Cup team and then make ultimately make an Olympic team. Chances are that we will only send two. They just changed some of the allocations. So I think that the U.S. will only send two. So it's a matter of, you know, staying in that top two and just really being super dedicated in the off season. <laughs> and I always like working with like junior ROTC programs. I like speaking, especially with like the female cadets or female athletes. I worked with this uh, nonprofit called Z Girls that's partners with Lindsey Vaughn and like doing a camp for young female athletes and just trying to give them like empowerment and, and believe in them. So I, I love doing stuff like that, especially for females. But after that, like after the Olympics, whether I make it or not, one thing that I have toyed with is going to ranger school. Okay. There is, so now females can go to ranger school. I would have to shave my head. That's probably like the worst part about it. <laughs> I have lo- I have long blonde hair. I'm like, oh my God. And that is something that would be entirely out of my comfort zone because it's all endurance type stuff. A lot of infantry tactics, land navigation, stuff that I either have barely, you know, been introduced to or stuff that's totally foreign to me. But I don't know. It's enticing to me because it is such a challenging thing that would really push me out of my comfort zone. And I think it's one of those things where I'm like, if I can get through that, I could literally do anything. And even just going, I mean, it would be a feat for me. (laughs) And I think it would also make me a better leader. So it's something that I've toyed with. I will be quote unquote old by that time. So 
We'll see. We'll see. I've toyed with the idea. <laughs> well, I will say this. If you overcome blood clots, you can overcome anything. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, and I just want to thank you because I don't know, like, each time I do this, these interviews and I kind of have an agenda of like, you know, like, I want to kind of just learn their story. I just want to listen. And, and hearing your story inspired me just to like, to know that your story never written, you know, like, like it's all, yeah, it's totally. all, all another chapter that you can write, you control the pen. So much respect to what you're doing and everything you're achieving. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No, definitely. This is awesome. I want to ask Skeleton one day. So one day. You I'm should gonna... definitely. In March, when we have national championships in Lake Placid, people can try both bobsled and skeleton at that time. Okay. Like they have a friends and family day. So you're welcome to come. I think it's like March 21st. Okay. Put in your calendar. I'm putting my calendar. I'm going to start stretching now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do a little CrossFit, so maybe hopefully okay. I'll, I'll be ready, you know? <laughs> there you go. You'll be ready. <laughs> awesome. Well, Megan, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the travel to Germany. Eat some good food, and, and we'll be in touch soon. All right. Merry All right. Christmas. Merry Christmas. See ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Point Started With A Dream podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can find more athlete-driven content at nonpoint.com. Till the next episode, you're only one opportunity away. Peace.